When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky the Blue, the associate editor and Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com. We are here for another episode, a full episode of the TSL podcast. Guys, it's the bye week. We are finally reached the, the midway point of the season. I'm here, as always, with Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. Chris, how are we doing today, buddy? Doing well. I'm glad the bye week is here. Are, are you really glad the bye week is here? Very. very Why much. is that? Well, you know, it gives you a chance to sit around and, and watch football on Saturday. Virginia Tech's not playing. I mean, we don't get to watch a lot of football. That's believe true. It or not. Yeah. yeah uh, I, I was talking to uh, Especially some... me. Especially, yeah. <laughs> I, I was, well, actually, you're up in the press box where they have all those TVs, right? Yes. We're, we're out How, in the crowd. Yes, right? however, where I sit in the press box, right. unfortunately, I do not have a view of all those luxurious TVs. I, I was able – now, see, this is going to be like two bye weeks in a row, really, because Virginia Tech played on, on Saturday night. So I was actually able to watch football all day on Saturday, which yeah. normally does yeah, not happen true. when Virginia Tech yeah. is playing. Yeah. Real quick, well, what was the last time that Tech had a noon kick this year? Was it Delaware? They, they haven't had a noon kick all year. Delaware was two o'clock, yeah. right? Yeah, or three thirty, or three and then or and something. then and then they're going to get North Carolina three thirty again. That's in, right. In, in I, I think the old Dominion game was at two, and I want to say the Delaware game was at two thirty or three, something like that. Man, now having said that, <laughs> seven fifteen on ESPN two on the road against Boston College. I don't think anybody watched that game because it was up against Alabama and Texas A and M and yeah. uh, and Michigan and Michigan State. And it, it just felt like ESPN's D crew was working the game. I mean, <laughs> it probably was. So if you're going to have a 7:15 p.m. game on ESPN two, the only real value is if it's a home game. It's a, if it's a night home game. Now we he's right. We did we get to, get to sit around and watch college football during the day. But man, as far as visibility, the fact that it was night actually probably hurt you. Yeah, because you were going up against kind of those two premier games in Alabama, Texas A&M actually turned out to be a, a kind of a competitive game. And then obviously Michigan State, Michigan played an absolutely horrid game, but was at least competitive and really fun to watch in the middle of a monsoon. Uh, let's go ahead and get to that Boston College game that, that was at 7-15 uh, at Boston College. The first thing that stood out to me, and, and, and obviously Tech won 23-10, the game never really looked like it was in doubt at any point. But it never really felt like Tech got in a rhythm. They, they got down to the red zone a few times, and that's the first thing I wanted to talk about was the, the red zone issues. Every time they got down there, they ended up bogging down. Will, and so far this season, what have you seen out of the red zone, and maybe what did you see explicitly on Saturday night that were the issues? Well, I did write about this in uh, this week's column, which was a pay column. So anybody who isn't a subscriber, first of all, shame on you. And second of all, <laughs> this will be new to you. I'm not a, an, an analytical guy. I'm not going to sit there and say Tech used to run this kind of stuff down in the red zone last year, and this is why it worked. And yeah. you know, I'm not going to break it down for you for, from an X's and O's standpoint. But when I looked at last year, uh, Tech got a lot of production in the red zone. Uh, they scored 42 red zone touchdowns, and I think 22 were in the passing game and 20 were in the rushing game. 
And it was interesting early in the season through about uh, eight games. Remember, Tech played 14 games last year. And in the first eight games of the year, Bucky Hodges and, and Isaiah Ford had something like nine combined receiving touchdowns in the red zone. And Gerard Evans had one rushing touchdown. In the last six games of the year, Gerard had eight rushing touchdowns. Yeah. And Bucky and Isaiah each had a touchdown catch. So it changed. But the bottom line was last year they had they had guys who were uh, they had receivers who were more reliable in the red zone, and at the end of the year they had a quarterback who could really just put his head down and go. Now you want to go back to that Boston College game. Uh, I think the third time where they were in the red zone was when they just ran Coleman Fox up the middle of a bunch. Then they had the break between the third and fourth quarters, and they came back and they ran Josh Jackson up the middle twice. If that's Gerard Evans, does he score? Maybe. He's bigger yeah. and stronger. You know, he could have scored. So they don't have the, the bull rusher at quarterback that they had last year. Um, and they do not. And, and Fuente talked about this on Tech Talk Live when he was talking about the decision to pull Drake. Julius's red shirt. Julius's red shirt. Um, it's going to take us a long time to make to, to be able to say that without having to mentally prepare ourselves yeah, to it's, say it's, that. it's like Julius with a D. So they pulled Drake Julius's red shirt. And Fuente had some really interesting comments about that on Tech Talk Live. He basically said a couple things I thought were really interesting. Uh, number one, Julius is coming on in practice. We just can't ignore him anymore. We think we should play him. And he thinks that Julius will be of value down in the red zone where the coverage gets tight. And you got to just be able to win a one-on-one battle. Yeah. And the second thing he said was, and this was kind of surprising to me, he, he basically said, last year we were really successful in the red zone. I've never coached a team that was that successful in the red zone. So I thought that was interesting. So clearly they're missing some things that they had last year. They're missing the quarterback rusher, and they're missing two really good guys at the receiving position. They're trying to bring – I think they're going to try some of that with Julius. They're, they're going to have him try to be this year's Bucky Hodges slash Isaiah Ford. Yeah. Now, as far as a solution to running it in from in there, I don't know. Let's get Stephen Peoples back and see what happens. I was just about to say, Chris, do you think that not having Stephen Peoples in there, A, as kind of a power back, but also B, as an experienced blocker at the running back position, is that playing a role? I think so. I mean, when you do a power run with Josh Jackson, you know, in that situation – your running back becomes your lead blocker. Exactly. And and really, Peoples is the only Virginia Tech running back that's really suited to be any kind of a lead blocker, mm-hmm. uh, except for maybe Jalen Holston, and he's only a true freshman. And so, he's never been a lead blocker really been, before. Ex- exactly right. So, so yeah, I think that hurt, hurts Tech's production in the red zone. And, you know, what's interesting is that last year, Tech was not known as an offense that hit a lot of big plays. Um you know, that they would throw some balls downfield and they would, you know, guys like Isaiah Ford can go up and high point a football and things like that. They made big plays against Pitt. But on the whole, it was more of a methodical offense. And But they were very, very good in the red zone. And this year, I think they're 15th in plays twenty or of 20 or more yards and 15th or 20th in plays ten of 10 or more yards this season. So they've been an offense that's been able to generate – uh, big plays this year, but when you know the field gets smaller in the red zone, they haven't been as successful. So in a lot of ways, this offense is really the direct opposite of last year's offense. Yes, so I, I pulled up a bunch of uh, box scores. I pulled up all the box scores from this year, and specifically I looked at the scoring summaries to figure out you know what kind of touchdowns are being scored in the red zone. 
and it's a lot of 25, 30, 35-yard touchdowns and not a lot of red zone stuff. Uh, I think the one exception was East Carolina. I think they had a bunch of touchdowns. and you know. Well, they got really got anything they well, wanted against East Carolina. <laughs> Did you know East Carolina, in terms of yards per game, is – the worst defense in the country. I mean, I didn't know that, but I'm not a good I'm not shot. Shot. definitely not surprised. 129th out of 129 teams, 599.5 yards per game. So, that, so they've gotten better since they played Virginia Tech. <laughs> yeah, they've gotten up over 600. Yeah, they've oh, gone up 614 man. when they yeah. played Virginia Tech. And that average went up after they played Tech to probably around 640. Quote, or so. unquote, better. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's... So they've actually improved by about 50 yards per game since, wow. since they played Tech. Good job, Scotty Montgomery. <laughs> But again, if you have those those red zone issues, it does give you a chance to kick. And Joey Sly did go three for three in field goals, so perhaps that is a good sign for Tech. Granted, they were all chip shots; they weren't really of anything of, of length. But anytime you see the the ball go through the the post three times on kicks, that's going to give you a little bit of boost of confidence. You know, one of the things I'm trying to figure out is, uh, and I go back and forth on this: Do coaches um, when they know they've got an opponent overmatched like East Carolina or Boston College. I'm not saying that Tech's coaches don't respect Boston College because they call them tough. You know, that's a tough. They're going to call team. everyone tough no matter but, who but they I are. Think it's, in Boston College's case, I think it's actually true. And you have to respect their defensive ends. And they do have some decent young talent. There's not a lot of it. But everybody knows that their offense is terrible. And all you got to do is put, a, put a, two or three touchdowns up on them and you're going to win. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to figure out is, do, do coaches play to that? Part of me says a coach will never let up off the throttle because unless you really take an opponent seriously, you're begging to get beat. But if you're Justin Fuente and you're down there and you're inside the red zone, are you thinking to yourself, man, we're up 20-3. to three. What do you say we pound the ball into the line a few times, check and see how that's working? If it's not working, we get a field goal attempt for Joey and get Joey back in rhythm. And you know? there's no way Boston College is going to be able to come back from 20 points down because they're one of the worst offenses in the country. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I, well, I mean, do I they, do they actually think like a that? coach would never admit that, and I th- I think it depends on the coach. But I, I do think you play the you, you play the percentages to a certain extent. Um, if you really need to work on something, you really feel like you need to work on something, or you just want to see how something works that maybe you've never done before in a situation like that, then. Uh, I think Boston College gives you the opportunity to do that because let's face it, when Virginia Virginia Tech got up seventeen three in that game, it was over uh, again. Right? I mean, Boston College would have had would have needed to shut Tech out for the rest of the game and, and probably scored, force a couple turnovers to, to have a chance to. Well, win then, the and they would have to score two touchdowns, just which to they haven't done against the Power Five team yet this year. Right? Exactly. So, I mean, when you just play the percentages. Basically, there was about a three percent chance Boston College was going to win that game when it was seventeen to three at halftime, and and I and I do think you do know that as a coach, and 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 you feel a little more comfortable uh, about doing certain things that that you might otherwise not do. And how else do you explain? Let's just run Coleman Fox up the middle four straight times. And then they break for the quarter, and, you know, while they're doing, running commercials, you're like, hey, tell you what, let's try Josh Jackson up the middle a couple of right. times. One of the, I, I guess one of the, the reasons this came to my head maybe was because Josh Jackson had already had a pass tipped at the line that was picked. So maybe at that point you're really the, trying to avoid any chance of a turnover. The only way So Boston, just pound the ball inside. The only way Boston College is getting back in the game is with turnovers. Yep, that's, right, that's right. it. You know, that's the only way. I mean, because it's not like you're going to trade kick or field goals for touchdowns with Boston College because they're not going to score. And, and if you look at the time of possession in that game, about, you know, 
it was nine to nine minutes to six minutes in BC's favor in the first quarter. But after that, Virginia Tech dominated. I think in the third quarter they had the ball over ten minutes. Yeah, yeah and, and they only scored, I believe, three points in that quarter. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, I do think once you get up by a certain amount of points, you've already gotten Cam Phillips hurt. You've got a lot of uh, receivers hurt. The only thing that's going to get Boston College back in the game is turnovers. Sometimes you just got to get the heck out of Dodge. You know, ugly win or not, just get back to Blacksburg as healthy as possible and and, and go into the bye week and, and get healthy. You mentioned Cam Phillips' injury. Let's let's go to Sean Savoy really quick. He had a really big game, nine catches, 100-plus yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Will, how encouraging was it to see Sean Savoy put together that kind of performance really when he was the lead guy? Well, uh against the Boston College pass defense that, statistically speaking, was one of the better ones in the country. Um, I think he's always had that capability. It's just, you know, Cam's always been there getting the lion's share of the, of the targets. Yeah. I, I, I think what you saw from Sean Savoy isn't really different than what you've been seeing so far. Just more of it, you know, I, I think because he gets targeted more. I like what he does with the ball in his hands after he catches it. He, he really – He's not a guy who's going to catch it and then get tackled. He's a guy who's the first half of the play for him is the catch. The second half is now what can I do with it? Yeah. You know, he's he's not a guy who's just going to run out of bounds and stuff like that after he catches it. So I like that. Yeah, I agree with that. I also want to point out that for a lot of the season, he's been an outside receiver, and he made some of his biggest plays on, on Saturday as an inside receiver, the catch and run over the middle for a touchdown. And then the long pass down the sideline, he was not – an outside receiver on that. He, that was actually one of those uh, fake screens or something like that. He slipped to the outside from the slot and, and got behind the defense like that. Uh, and I think that's his most natural position being in the slot. I, I think if Virginia Tech had another outside receiver uh, early in the season, then he would have seen the majority of his playing time in the slot. And I think he's over time, I think he'll play there more and I think he'll be a more productive player there. He he had he had good numbers. What were they? Nine catches for 139 yards, something, something along those yeah. lines. Yeah, they were almost obscene because right. the, it was it was a potential 71 yard touchdown where he got behind the linebacker, and Josh Jackson underthrew it and it got broken up. That would have given him 10 catches for 210 yards if if I'm doing my math. Yeah, right. right. Now see now his long catch and run for a touchdown. That was a play that Virginia Tech never got last year. That they, they they never got it for a touchdown. C.J. Carroll had a long catch and run against Notre Dame but for the most part uh outside of you know Cam Phillips maybe one run in the in the bowl game uh Tech's offense last year was mostly throw the ball catch it get tackled you know there, there was not well, a lot of stuff well, part of that's Bucky a lot of that's Bucky <laughs> but a, a lot of it was Ford too that's Ford yeah, yeah. Ford, Ford didn't just immediately fall down he would actually get tackled Ford at, Ford at least but, made you try right, to tackle right him. Bucky just <laughs> fall down yeah right um but uh so I think a lot of things have to happen for that play to to succeed like that it has to be a perfect throw hitting the guy in stride where you know he doesn't have to slow down he has to be able to keep running at full speed, and, and Jackson put the ball in there perfectly. And that wasn't the type of throw that Gerard Evans was capable of making. And then Savoy, uh, I mean, we said this at the beginning of the year, Tex wide receivers are going to do more after the catch this year because that's just the type of players they are. You know, Sean Savoy is not Isaiah Ford. He's not going to go up and, and, and beat a defensive back in the air for a football a whole lot, but he's going to do something Isaiah Ford couldn't do. He's faster than Isaiah Ford. He's, he's more agile than Isaiah Ford, and so he's going to do more after the catch. So it's just it's just a different type of, of, of wide receiver that Tech is putting on the field this year. 
really quick before we get to the over-unders and recap those from those games, I think we'd be remiss to to go without saying that obviously Sean Savoy lost his brother on Saturday night during the game. Uh, his older brother who leaves behind two kids. Uh, he was shot in D.C. So I think from all from all three of us and all the subscribers on TSL, we just want to send our deepest condolences and prayers to the Savoy family and everyone associated with that. And we're definitely thinking of you. Let's go ahead and move to the over-unders on that. I want to get these out of the way. Uh, remember, we all agreed last week on, ever, on both over-unders. We took right. the under on both of these propositions. The first one that J- Josh Jackson would throw an interception. We were wrong. We all took the under, and he threw a pick, even though, granted, it wasn't exactly his fault. And then we had uh, BC touchdowns at one and a half. We all took the under on that, and we all got that one. Man, what a boring week. Yeah, yeah, really. So, so (laughs) No separation amongst the pack. The standings (laughs) did not change at all. Uh, Will, five and three, and Chris and myself are at uh, four and four for the year. Now, before we um, move on to kind of the rest of the ACC, because I do want to break down some of the ACC issues and stuff that's going on. I do want to kind of just kind of take inventory at this point of the of the Virginia Tech season. They're six games in. They're five and one. Uh, they are one and one in the conference, obviously with the lone loss coming to Clemson. But I want to kind of go kind of by position group by position group here and just talk about what we've seen so far and if it met our expectations. So let's mm-hmm. start with the quarterback position. Obviously, Josh Jackson. I think all of us would agree he's done a pretty good job so far as completing over 65% of his passes, throwing for over 280 yards a game, 13 touchdowns to just four interceptions. Chris, has Josh Jackson been as advertised for you? Yeah. he's To me, Josh Jackson is, is kind of like a microcosm of the team as a whole. It's exactly what I expected. He's exactly who I thought he was, and this team is pretty much exactly what I thought they were going to be. A little bit of Danny Green there. They are who we thought they, they are. They are who we thought we are. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, this team's – what we thought was going to be strengths for this team is strengths. What we thought were going to be weaknesses are weaknesses. Will, have, has there been anything with Josh that you've been maybe disappointed in or maybe surprised so far this year? No, not really. You know, he, he – from what we were hearing about him, he is what we thought. And, and you know, if you study Justin Puente's offenses, his quarterbacks just – they have good touchdown-to-interception ratios. Yeah, almost every year. So that, that part's not even a surprise. People might say, oh, 13 touchdown, four interceptions. That's great for a freshman. Hmm, it is, but it's a Justin Fuente quarterback. That's how they roll. That's how his offense rolls. So that's not a surprise. Uh, I think the completion percentage might be a little higher than I thought. 65? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't remember what Gerard was last year, but – Gerard was more of a 61 to 62% guy. Yeah, I think that's about right. But and I then, felt like Gerard was throwing the ball vertical a little bit more than Jackson is, whereas I feel like this offense is heavily predicated on those screens and those those bubble screens, slants, flats, stuff like that. I don't uh, – maybe. Um, I mean, they threw a couple – they've missed deep balls this year. Oh, of course, um, yeah. But they've also hit deep balls to, like, Cam Phillips against East Carolina on a couple of them. Uh, I don't know. You'd have to go back and, and watch the tape and actually count uh, yeah. the numbers of passes, you know, and things like that. Uh, so I, I really don't know. I yeah. don't, but, uh, but overall, yeah, he's about what I, what I expected. And, and, you know, sometimes he's late with the ball, you know, which you would expect of a freshman, you know. So he's he's certainly right where I thought he'd be, and he's just going to get better. Considering he's, like, at a 65% completion rate or a little over, like you said, 
and go back to the Delaware game where he was really inaccurate that game. Yeah, he did not. I, I mean, even on the short Delaware. stuff, he, he was he was he was pretty inaccurate. And uh, but but as we know from watching him in other games, that's not the real Josh Jackson. I would tend to agree that, that JJ has been basically what I thought he would be. Let's move to the running back position, where I think there might be a little bit more discussion here. Obviously, there's been a lot of inconsistency at that position. We've seen some fumbles. We have the Stephen Peoples injury, which has kind of changed the dynamic at that spot. Um, Chris, at this point, who is Virginia Tech's best overall running back? Well, that's the problem. You don't know. Because you don't of, really it, know who it, it is. It varies on a game-by-game game game basis. I mean, I thought there have been a couple games this year where I, I thought Stephen Peoples was probably the best back. Uh Coleman Fox certainly does the best job making guys miss, uh, especially the, the I mean, that first guy almost always misses Coleman Fox. Uh, I think he's got good vision, not very big, not going to get you that extra yard in the red zone as we saw on on Saturday night. Uh, Trayvon McMillan was the best back against Boston College, but there were other games where he was not the best back. Uh, if you'd asked me after the West Virginia game, I thought Deshaun McLeese was the best running back, but overall through six games. I, I I think everybody else, all the running backs have been what I expected, or or even in the case of Peoples and Fox, a little better than I expected. But McLeese has actually has not been as good as I expected outside of the West Virginia game. I felt like the coaches really talked up Deshaun McLeese and, and what he could do and how just how shifty he was, but also how powerful he was in the middle. They they wanted to talk, you know, preach to the media that he's not just one of those scat back guys. He's also somebody who can run between the tackles. But, yeah, you're right. I don't think we've seen McLeese make a huge impact on this on the season outside of the West Virginia game. Yeah, the the touchdown run against West Virginia was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it he was. Thought, wow, there, there's, a, there's a little guy who can who can break some tackles and, and keep going, and you just haven't seen it since then. He's, he's gone down pretty easy since then. How important is it for, and we kind of addressed this earlier, but how important is it for Virginia Tech to get Stephen Peoples back, who might be the most uh, well-rounded, at least skill set-wise? I think so. You know, he's not the most explosive guy with the ball in his hands, but I think he's got pretty good vision and he runs hard. Uh, I think he's the most capable run blocker when you run those quarterback powers. Yeah, and and pass blocker. And pass blocker. And and I think he's improved in the passing game as far as catching the ball since he enrolled at Virginia Tech. So, uh, you know, I certainly believe that, that he'll be in the game when he comes back, yeah. I feel like at this point, if you're not going to have peoples, I think we're going to continue to see these guys kind of rotate out really, really frequently. But just strictly looking from the numbers, Trayvon McMillan's averaging over five yards a carry, and so is Coleman Fox. Mm-hmm. And they're the only two running backs that are averaging over five yards a carry. Yeah, it's uh... So I feel like you might have to start skewing the carries towards those guys. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, you you also don't want to make it obvious that when they're in the game, of course, that, that you're that you're going to run the football because I mean I do think Trayvon's been effective running the football this year, outside uh, of the fumble versus Clemson, right? Exactly. But but you know he's he, he's improved as a pass blocker. But you know if you want to get your quarterback involved in the running game with any quarterback powers and things like that, Trayvon can't really be in the game for that. He, that that's not his that's not his best role. So I. I I wish Virginia Tech had a complete running back where if he was in the game, you don't know what they're going to run because he can kind of do everything, but but they don't have that luxury. That seems to be the problem with the Virginia Tech backfield right now is that it, it is kind of telegraphed depending on who's in the backfield with, with Stephen Peoples out because you don't have a guy who can be a consistent runner mm-hmm. but also be that, that lead blocker on quarterback runs. And then that's why I think long term, out of every back that's in the program right now, 
Jalen Holston probably has the most potential because he's going to be big enough to block on those quarterback power he runs. He just needs to learn how he to just, do it. He just, yeah, he just needs to learn how to pass block. Uh, and, and also, you know, he played in a wing T, single wing type offense in high school where he was the fullback lined up just behind the quarterback who was under center. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was probably lined up four or five yards in the backfield, if that, maybe even shorter than that. Yeah, the sure, sure looks shorter yeah, on his Exactly, and, and, you know, so he's just taking a direct handoff right up the middle, man-blocking schemes. There's just not a whole lot to read there. It's like you already know where, which gap you're assigned to uh, before you take the handoff. So, so running out of the shotgun in this type of offense is just so much different for him. It's a huge adjustment. So we've got to be patient with his development, you know, not only as a blocker, as we've talked about, but as a runner too, because he's just, it's just a completely different style of offense for him. Will, well, to move to the receiver position, nobody outside of Cam Phillips or Sean Savoy has more than 10 receptions this year. What have you seen from those other, other receivers? Let's let's take them one by one, I guess. Uh, one of the things I noticed about Eric Kuma early was that he didn't get separation. And I think I remember that from the West Virginia game. Mm-hmm. They targeted him a couple of times, and, and the defensive backs were draped on him. And this is not a West Virginia defense that – I like their physical talent, but they tend to not just be real uh, – I, I think they – they tend to not be very good. I think they play. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. looking at those guys, I think they play below. I think if they were Bud Foster's defense, they'd be a lot If they better. weren't an offensive-focused program. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I don't know. Throw the rest up. Maybe Henry Murphy. Um, you know, Henry, Henry showed a, a little bit of, uh, I don't know that inexperience is the word. but uh, So, one of the things we were told during camp, so let's, let's cut back to in August, is that Cam was Cam. You know, and and that they were looking for consistency from the other guys. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, they're going to miss some plays. They're they're going to drop some balls that you just wish they would catch. Hopefully, it's not at a bad time. I didn't know it would equate to drop a ball that's going to turn into a pick six for the other team. <laughs> that's your that's your worst scenario. Yeah. Um, I I just think you see flashes from a lot of guys. Yeah, uh, Henry's Henry's got some good speed. Um, he's made some good plays for him you know, on slants and things like that. Um, but I think what we were told in the preseason is accurate, that they're just they're looking for guys who can can more consistently catch the ball. And I also remember thinking at the time that that meant that the kind of stuff we used to see from Isaiah Ford, we weren't going to get that this year. Isaiah, all the way back to his freshman year, was – do you remember the catch he made against North Carolina his freshman year? On the sideline? where he was almost horizontal Mm -hmm. and his toes were in and that was it. Mm -hmm. He was doing that stuff from the beginning. And I remember thinking that's going to be missing this year. And so far outside of a couple of, of nice uh, um, fade route catches by Cam and Sean Savoy against East Carolina, those, those were some impressive plays. Other than that, we haven't seen a lot of that kind of stuff from the receivers. The wide receiver position has been one that's been hit by injury a ton so far this year. We obviously Caleb Farley, was out before the season started. Philip Patterson hasn't played at all this year. C.J. Carroll is hurt. Um, Chris, are, are we really starting to see the is, – is the depth really going to start to become a problem as we move into the second half of the season? You know, maybe. But, you know, we lost, Tech lost Cam Phillips the other night, and they still had over 430 yards of total offense, and Josh Jackson threw for over 300 yards and completed two-thirds of his passes. I mean, and, and, and fans were upset at that. But – you know, true freshman, 
a true freshman, Sean Savoy, had nine catches for 137 yards, career high. True sophomore, Eric Kuma, four catches for 50-some yards, career high in, in both receptions and yards. Same thing for Dalton Keene. Four catches, four catches, 66 yards, career high in yards and receptions. I mean, you saw guys step up in, in that game, but but they're all really, really young players. And, and, and you know, you see them making plays, and, and it's, e- it's easy to give a receiver credit when he makes a play and say, oh, he's really progressing. But are you really watching that receiver like on an incomplete pass? And, and how many people are really – Or on a running play. Or on a running play, right, exactly. You, you don't notice them like that, so – They've made progress, yes, but how good are they really? Um, I, I think the I think the offense is really good at getting guys open to a certain extent, uh, um, but there still has to be a degree of physical talent there and consistency as as far as technique, strength, things like that. And and you know Tech isn't quite where they need to be from from that standpoint. But the other comment I'll make about the receivers, uh, I said this earlier actually, it's just it's, it's a different type of receivers this year. Cam Phillips makes guys miss. Uh, Cam Phillips will even get behind defenders and catch a deep ball for a touchdown like he did against East Carolina, and that's just not something you saw Isaiah Ford do very often. Uh, Sean Savoy can make guys miss in the open field. Uh, Henry Murphy can do that to a certain extent. So it's just a different style passing game this year, I think. I definitely feel like Virginia Tech is still worried about that position, especially when you consider the fact that two of your top three pass catchers are now injured, and we don't yeah. really know when Cam, what Cam's exact problem is. We don't know what the prognosis is. Uh, there's a lot of, of in, uh, little, I don't know, uncertainty surrounding C.J. Carroll's injury. We don't know exactly when he's going to be available. Mm-hmm. And those are the two top pass, or two of the three top pass catchers in terms of receptions. And not having those guys is really going to put a ton of pressure on guys like Henry Murphy, Eric Kuma, or maybe even Drake Dulius, who just lost that red shirt. So we're really interested to see how that all turns out. You know, and the other thing I'll say about the receivers is, is they don't have a guy, they don't have a receiver who plays big. You know, they're, they're either physically just not big, or you got a guy like Kuma who's about 6'2", but that's just not how he rolls. He doesn't, he doesn't play like a big receiver. So I think that's one of the things they're missing this year. And we sat around and talked about this in the office, how – They've got some guys coming on next year. They're going to have Trey Turner here next year, who's a big guy. Uh, Hazleton will be eligible. Daryl Simmons. Simmons. It's going to change again next year in terms of the the guys and their skill sets. Really quick, too. We almost forgot James Clark has not played in what the last three since the East Carolina game. Yeah, Uh, and I think there was a hand issue there. But he's not even listed on the injury. He's not. Yeah, I mean, that's why you have to take this injury report with a grain of salt that Virginia Tech puts out these days. Um, it, it reminds me of coaches voting in the coaches poll. Right. You know, yeah. Where probably at the end of the day, Saturday, they hand it to some, you know, admin assistant and say, look, fill that thing out. <laughs> fill, fill out the injury report. The injury report's probably just <laughs> yeah. like that. Just scribble down a few names. Oh, man. All right. Let's move to the offensive line really quick. Uh, obviously, Tech's offensive line, I, I think we would agree that it hasn't been perfect by any means, but it also, I don't think it's been bad. Uh, Tech is averaging exactly four yards a rush so far this year. They've given up 11 sacks, which I believe how many of those were against Boston College? Five. 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 So yeah. the, before, and, and one of those 11 sacks was against C.J. Carroll on that attempted yeah, wide yeah, receiver pass. So you can't put that on the offensive line. And also Justin Fuente said after the Boston College game that there was, quote, shared responsibility right. on, oh, their, yeah, on yeah, those Josh, sacks. Josh held the ball. Josh held the ball, and there was another play where Pimpleton went in motion. And they were going to throw it to him out in the flat. He was her check down guy. And there's nobody within 15 or 20 yards of him. 
uh, but he tripped over uh, the defensive Chung. end and offensive da- uh, yeah, Chung and, and Landry, I guess, uh, right. out there on the outside and just went sprawling on the ground outside in the flat. And you could see Jackson look over there to throw it to him, but at that point, Pippleton just kind of rolling on the turf. <laughs> and Jackson just had to eat the ball and take a sack. Yeah. And, and and so that that's that's one of those things. A play by an inexperienced player just did just didn't take his cut deep enough into the backfield. And and it was on a second nine play in BC territory, it would have picked up at least ten yards. And instead, Tech got sacked, and it becomes third and fourteen or something like that. So so you know, continuing along that vein, um, uh, Landry Harold Landry. And Allen, what's Allen's first name? Zach, I think. I think that's right. The two defensive ends from yeah. Boston College. They're good. Yeah. And and they caused some problems. But I found myself in watching film thinking that um, that Nijman, Josh Nijman mm-hmm. and, and Chung, I think they actually did pretty well against those guys. But you're, you're not going to – good defensive ends like that, there's only so long you're going to be able to hold them. Yeah. You know? and, and Which is why you need to get rid of the ball fast. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. One of the the biggest problems with Virginia Tech's defense coming into the season, maybe the biggest issue, was the lack of defensive line depth. Uh, so far, have you seen that continue to be an issue? Yeah, uh, it's helped by games like uh, the Boston College game, where the BC offense is so inept that what they only they, got they only around. had two possessions over seven six plays. Six they plays. had a seven play possession and a nine play possession. Right. Other than that, it was six or fewer. Right, and they, they didn't do much movement of the football until late in the fourth or the second half of the fourth quarter, really. Uh, so I think a game like Boston College and helps, and then having the bye week right after that helps. I mean, Tech should be very fresh going into that North Carolina game because they didn't have to exert a lot of effort against Boston College, and then they get a whole week off. Um, I do think the defensive line has been kind of what we feared it would be. I, I was hopeful that, that one of those defensive ends would would, would step up. But, you know, I think whenever the, you see uh, Hushan Gaines on the field, he's just – he's kind of there. He's, 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 not, he's not great. He's not, he's, not, he's not terrible, but he's just kind of there catching a block. And I think, I think Hewitt, a defensive tackle, has probably progressed more since the start of the season, more so than anybody else. Uh we, we, we've seen some decent things out of Belmar, but ultimately, you know, honestly, I, th- I think we're halfway through the season. I don't know if, how much better those guys are going to get this year. I think we might have to wait until the spring, let those guys progress another year in the strength conditioning program, add those guys that are redshirting this year in, into the mix, and then, and just, you know, hope the Hokies have more options to choose from next season. Last year, I thought that one of the interesting things – that I'm not seeing this year is that if you look at the defensive line from last season, you had a backup defensive end in Trayvon Hill, who was making a lot of plays when he was on the field. Mm-hmm. You had a backup defensive tackle in Ricky Walker that was making yeah. a ton of plays when he was on the field and actually ended up replacing Nigel Williams when Nigel, when, uh, Nigel got hurt. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're seeing that this year. You don't have those one or two guys off the bench that you can insert into that defensive line and they start wreaking havoc. No, you just hope that they don't they maintain their gap it's, integrity yeah. and don't give up a big play. You have to hope that they don't let the they don't let too many blockers get to the linebackers. That's right. Because I mean it, it, we just haven't seen a ton of a ton of push from those guys. Um, there have been some issues at defensive back. We've seen some guys going in and out with injury. I think that we've seen that some players may be limited at certain positions. Uh, Will, what concerns you about the defensive back position so far? Nothing. 
Really? <laughs> um, nothing really concerns me about him. I don't like Diablo being out. You know, um, personally, I feel like Diablo is the best free safety on the roster. I was starting to agree before he got hurt. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think let's see. Uh, you know, Strowman's having a good year. I, I think Brandon Faison's playing better. Um, he is. You know, he's he's covering better. Adonis has done a good job despite being suspended for two games. And, you know, Adonis really has not been a factor ever since the suspension. I, I, you know, I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. Well, I mean, if you're he's not, he's not starting, right? He's still not starting. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you're on the field and if you're a defensive back and your name's not being called, mm-hmm. that's yeah. usually a good thing. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Beca- um, because the ball's not even coming your way. You know, we we were also talking about this in the office this morning. I saw Reggie Floyd get caught in space a couple times against Boston College. That's and, one of the things that I wanted to mention yeah. was that I'm not I'm not exactly sure that as you get into the rest of the ACC schedule and you're going to start to play some teams with a little higher quality of athlete, mm-hmm. maybe not to the level of Clemson, of course, yeah. but maybe more so that level of West Virginia. I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if that might be an issue. Well, Tech will play teams that are probably more capable in the passing game than Clemson. Let's be honest. I mean, oh, Clemson yeah. is not very advanced in the in the passing game. You know, when, when Tech goes and plays Miami, uh, you know, that they're going to have a chance to isolate a guy like Reggie Floyd. Georgia Tech, they will do it in a completely different style. But they'll but do they, it. But they will have an opportunity to isolate Reggie Floyd. See, that's Bud's responsibility, though, to know what Reggie's limitations that's right. are that's and right. to deploy him to his strengths. Right. Don't don't have him making tackles eight to ten yards from the line of scrimmage. Have it be closer. Maybe he can be Kyle Fuller this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kyle was exceptional. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget that year when they when they did that with Kyle Fuller. Um, and Kyle had an outstanding game and pretty much shut Georgia Tech down by himself. <laughs> yeah, Clemson tried to do the same thing later that year, and their guy wasn't as good as Kyle Fuller, right. and it didn't work. It just didn't work. Yeah. One of the other things that I noticed in the West Virginia game, and I haven't really seen it as much was that Terrell Evans moved up to 220 pounds this Mm -hmm. offseason. Against West Virginia, I saw a a difference. I haven't seen it as much so far this year, but I I fear that you might see that a little bit more as we start to see teams that are a little bit more explosive through the air. You think it slowed him down? Is that what you're saying? I do. I really do. I don't think he's quite as good in space. I I, I would agree with that. Um, I was was really expecting him to be one of the best free safeties Tech ever had, but he just hasn't looked as good. I don't think think either Edmonds has been quite as good as they were uh, last season. I I don't think the defense as a whole, the numbers are there, but but I I don't think they're quite as active as they were in the first half of last season. They were really good in the first half of last season before all the the defensive ends started getting hurt. They've been healthy this year for the most part, but I, I just don't see... Like, I thought they played well for three and a half quarters against Boston College, but even when they were playing well, they just they weren't really denting the line of scrimmage and making a ton of plays. I thought it was more about Boston College just being completely inept than it was Virginia Tech being very good. So, Full dis- or, go ahead. So looking at Tremaine's numbers, I looked at Tremaine's numbers this week. He's actually ahead of where he was last year in terms of number of tackles. But he's behind in terms of tackles for loss and sacks. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, I wish I could give you the exact numbers. I can't recall them off the top of my head. It's not a huge drop-off, but it's a drop-off. Uh, I, I thought he's a guy that would just look like a heat-seeking missile this year, that you'd see him slashing in and, and taking out guys in the backfield. And He's made a few plays here and there, but it hasn't been as consistent as I expected. Yeah, when he tackled Kelly Bryant in the open field against Clemson, you're like, wow, there's your Xavier DB Reggie Ball moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then you see him against Boston College, and he takes a bad angle on that play out into the flats, and uh, and then he busts that coverage against Clemson. Uh, 
we got to remember he's still only 19 years old. When he was playing as a true freshman for Virginia Tech two years ago, he was 17 years old. Yeah. He's not going to turn 20 until May, like after the NFL draft, or maybe the week- weekend of the NFL yeah, draft the or draft something like that. Back. Right, so he's a very attractive NFL prospect, but... He, he needs time. He needs, he needs, he needs another year, time. wink, wink. Yeah, I mean... He, <laughs> Definitely he, needs another year. I hope he doesn't go pro this year, because I think he's got a lot of potential as a football player, and he could be one of those guys... Uh, and you could argue that Cam Chancellor's the same way. Cam Chancellor's a better NFL player than he was college player because he was playing out of position in college to a certain extent. But with Tremaine, it could turn out to be a youth thing. I mean, he if he gets drafted and plays his rookie year in the NFL is at the age of 20, then yeah, his best football is ahead of him. It's not going to be behind him. So, But the NFL is not patient. So right. my advice to him would be, Think about this really hard. Yeah. Do you want to go into the NFL as a 20-year-old guy or a 21-year-old Unless guy? you're a first or second round pick and and you got a lot of guaranteed money there, you're probably better off uh, coming back. That's the thing about the NFL draft is that unless you are one of those first or second round guys, you're pretty easy to cut you know, after preseason. Sure. So you, you don't really afford yourself a lot of guarantees there. Let's put a wrap on that. I want to move on to the rest of the ACC since we obviously do not have a game to talk about this week. But the rest of the ACC, there's definitely some interesting storylines this year. Let's start with the ACC Atlantic. Obviously, Clemson, I think we all expected them to be one of the best teams in the country and one of the best teams in this division. But second in this division is NC State. Mm-hmm. And and they, they lost to South Carolina. They kind of looked like the, the normal NC State team. But now, NC State looks like they could be a threat possibly to Clemson. I think uh, when you, when you, I agree with that. And, I, and I, when you look at that division, this should show you what a thin line it is in college football. Uh, Florida State can recruit just about anybody they want. Right? Yep. Well, their backup quarterback this year was a true freshman. 163 pounds. Uh, he's skinny. I don't know how big yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like 6'3", 165. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. he hasn't been broken in half yet. I know. He's uh, yeah. been pretty tough. Yeah, exactly. Their offensive line uh, he, has no, struggled for multiple years now. And, and, and that's the other thing. I mean, they, they can recruit anybody they want. They've got some highly touted kids up there on the offensive line, but they still can't keep anybody out of the backfield. So Florida State, with their ability to, to sign top five classes pretty much every year, is one they three. don't have anybody that can throw the football. They don't have anybody that can block. And I don't understand that, uh, especially at quarterback. You'd think you'd have a backup quarterback. Like you don't think you, you don't want to burn somebody's red shirt to be the backup quarterback. You, you know, like, like why, why didn't they go out and get AJ Bush or somebody like AJ Bush so they could redshirt a, this kid? Who's a better backup quarterback, AJ Bush or, or Blackman at FSU? Now, don't knock Blackman. He played a really good third and fourth he quarter did. the other he night. He did. He did his part. Yeah. Yeah, now he started off bad. He started off like yeah, what, six but, of twenty-one passing or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But, but, then, but then, then he made some plays. Yeah, he made some plays down the stretch. Um, yeah, I don't know who you'd rather have because we haven't really seen Bush yet, and we're talking two different offenses. Uh, so, so it's really hard to say. But why don't why don't why doesn't Florida State have the equivalent of AJ Bush? Where the because now I mean, Francois is going to come back next year. Uh, and it's just, and this guy's going to go back to being a backup, and he's going to be one year behind Francois, uh, so he's not going to start again until he's a senior if Francois stays his whole career. And if he continues to be the backup, you can't really redshirt the guy if he's the yeah. backup. So it's, that was a bad. That's a bad situation for Blackman. I feel kind of bad for him. So let's talk about NC State some more. Um, they've already gone down to Tallahassee and won, right? Mm-hmm. Their crossover opponents this year, they have to travel to Pitt who is not good Not good this year. Pitt's not going to make a bowl game. And at the end of the year, they host UNC, 
who is just who's not going to make a bowl <laughs> game. Really <laughs> struggling. Yeah. So they're they're not running into you know Virginia Tech or Miami or even Georgia Tech when they cross over. They've already knocked off Florida State. They're hosting Clemson. That could get really interesting. We've sat around and talked about this. I would love for Tech to you know win the Coastal, which is. It's going to be a difficult proposition mm-hmm. because Miami's already won their tough crossover game and Virginia Tech hasn't. Yep. And Virginia Tech has to go to Miami. So that's one thing. But if Tech can make it through the Coastal, I would love to see North Carolina State make it through the Atlantic and have those two teams play in Charlotte. I think that would be awesome. I think, it's, I think it's just really, really interesting how Florida State, Pitt, and UNC, all three have been competitive programs for the last couple of seasons, and all three of them have one win right now. Yeah, well, I think, I think you see what James Conner and what was that quarterback's name? Nathan Peterman. Nathan who Peterman plays who's for the Bills with now. the Bills now. Yeah, I think you see what a difference those guys made to the Pitt offense, and obviously they did not take any steps to improve their secondary. And they lost their coordinator. Yeah, you're right. That's right. Who's That's right. Generally highly regarded. That's right. He went to LSU, I believe. So uh, there's a lot of turnover in the Pitt offense, and. They were so good up front a couple of years ago that you I, you didn't think they would offensively be able to, or defensively. Defensively, yeah. Um, yeah. You didn't think they'd be able to. You didn't know how they were recruiting up there with so much coaching turnover and things like that. It's it's unlikely that a program like Pitt is going to put like an A plus defensive line on the field for three or four years in a row. So you you kind of assume there'd be some drop off there, and so you're like, okay, well they got to get better in the secondary then. Well, apparently they haven't. I haven't watched them play this year yet. I mean, they're, well, the, the defensive scheme they were playing last year didn't do their corners any. Favors. It didn't do their corners any favors at all, right? Yeah. So, so were they playing the exact same scheme this year with the same players? Because if they are, then and a weaker defensive line, and if you're if you're doing that with a weaker defensive line and an offense that is just not going to be able to score as much, then yeah, you're going to lose a lot of football games. All I know is about Pitt is that they needed overtime to beat Youngstown State. Mm-hmm. And they got boat raced on their home field by Oklahoma State. Now, granted, Oklahoma State's really They're good. good yeah. But anytime you get absolutely waxed on your home field like that, I mean, where the game was over at halftime, it wasn't, I mean, there was literally no chance that mm-hmm. Pittsburgh was going to come back and win that game. There's definitely some problems brewing up there at Heinz Field. Let's move now to the ACC Coastal, which obviously is Tech's division. Uh, Miami and Georgia Tech tied at the top here at 2 0 in the conference. Uh, although Miami is four and zero, because remember they they did have a game, uh, I guess cancel. It was a, it was a one of those early games. Uh, Georgia Tech is three and one. The Who's man, yeah. Bronco Mendenhall. They're, Cavaliers are four and one. Yeah, can you believe that? Uh, I, I wouldn't have guessed that to to start the season. I don't think anybody would. I, have. I think one of the biggest shockers of the college football season is what they did to Boise State at Boise. State. Yeah. You know, Boise State's not. Not what they used. Not to be. what they used to be. Yeah. But anyone that can go up to Boise and just manhandle Smash them. them. Yeah, they, 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 UVA is good defensively. Now, I got to watch them against Duke, and now I'll say this about Duke: Daniel Jones has not made the progress I thought he would as a quarterback. He's, he's, he's actually he's taken he, he, several he's steps back. He's, he's a good, still a good runner, but man, that guy's a bad quarterback right now, and uh, and I don't think they have a ton of playmakers on the outside well, that, either. So that that was a matchup advantage for UVA, but Kurt Benker didn't look that much better. Against Duke. Uh, when he's under pressure, he's not very good. But when he's given time to throw, I, I'm really impressed with his arm talent. I think he has the arm talent to be an NFL quarterback. Um, I, I really like the Zacchaeus kid. They have a wide receiver. I wish he was playing in the slot for Virginia Tech. 
their defense is has been strong. Their defense is good. They've got a really good defensive lineman in Andrew Brown, a really good linebacker in uh, Michael Kaiser. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and then Blanding, Blanding's just kind I, of an I, old I, head at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've never thought he was quite as good as you know he was made his five star ranking made made him out to be. But, but you know, he was certainly a competent, very competent senior at this stage. And uh, and you know Bronco has won over a hundred games in his career for a reason. I mean, he, as far as the X's knows of football, I think he knows what he's doing. Uh, they're, they're they next, have a they have a brutal four game stretch to finish to the finish year. the season. But their next three their next three opponents have combined to go zero and eight in the ACC. Yeah, yeah. so the, their their next three opponents are at UNC, BC at home, and at Pitt. They should win. Well, they should definitely beat should BC at home. Yeah, you, you would think they could win two out of those three games. But I'm pretty sure their last four games, not in order, are Louisville, Here you go. Uh, Tech, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Tech, and Miami. That's, that's Georgia Tech at Louisville at Miami. That is that's that's just that's, that's rough. Tough. That that that's tough. But you know they almost beat Louisville last year, um, and their defense is good. And I think all Louisville's got is Lamar Jackson. Yeah, it uh, does seem like that at this I, point. I, I think I think I think right now you you pencil UVA in at either seven and five or eight and four. I think their defense is very strong. Uh, and when you just look at their next three opponents, uh. That just that doesn't inspire much confidence. I mean, if they can win two of their next three, they'll 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 be up to six wins. They'll be bowl eligible. Yeah. What worries you the most about Georgia Tech this year? The fact that they have a I, they seem to have a really good quarterback in that system right see, now. See, I, I they might be the one ACC team that I haven't had a chance to see at all. Uh, so I'm not sure at this point. I don't like playing them the week after we play Miami because Miami's going to be a physical football game, and it's going to be a completely different it's style. Be tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I those are two big road trips going to Miami and then to yeah. Atlanta. That that yeah, you're exactly right. So when Clem, when does Clemson play Georgia Tech? Any idea? Uh, I do not know that off the top of my head. Three weeks from now. So Georgia Tech's next three games are at uh, Miami, Wake, and at Clemson. Okay. Um, so they got two out of three there that are pretty tough, and hey, Wake is four and two this year. So well, well, well you're right. So let, let's let's compare Virginia Tech, Miami, and Georgia Tech. I think we'd all safely agree, assume at this point that they're the top three contenders in the coast. Yeah, because Duke started off four and zero, and they're zero they two They now. don't have the offense. Yeah, and North Carolina's done. Pitt's not going to win it. Uh, I think you know UVA is obviously better, but I don't think they're going to contend for the coastal this year. So let's just say it's those three teams. And let's let's compare. Each of them had has one big tough crossover opponent. Well, Virginia Tech lost their game to Clemson at home. Miami won. Miami won their game on the road against Florida State. State. Yeah, but granted, Florida State's not Florida State. But that's their but that's their crossover opponent. So that gave that gives Miami an advantage. It's not Florida State this year, but but still, they have that advantage because their crossover opponent. Was not as was not as good as Clemson. Yeah, and Georgia Tech, if they lose to Clemson, that will they'll have the disadvantage too. So that means Miami has the advantage right now. So Miami's got Clemson doing their dirty work, right? Sure, yeah, seems to like a it. certain extent. <laughs> yeah. So Miami has. I mean, if if you had to bet money right now, just taking off the maroon and orange colored glasses and things like that, and when you just consider the schedule advantage right now, and say Miami's cleared their crossover hurdle, Virginia Tech did not clear their crossover hurdle. And Georgia, Georgia Tech, Tech is pr- not likely. Is not likely to, although they could. Right now, you have to consider Miami to be the favorites to win the Coastal. Right? Maybe even a heavy favorite. So here's the rest of Miami's schedule: Georgia Tech at home, Syracuse at home, at UNC, Virginia Tech at home, UVA at home. 
Right. Pit on the road. Yeah. That's just a really so all of their schedule. all of their road games for the rest of the year are very winnable. Well, and they've then only they get got two at UNC and at Pitt, and they get all of their their tough opponents at home. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say this, and I don't. I know this. This applies to Virginia Tech. I don't know if who else it applies to. Um, home and away just doesn't mean much to me anymore. Other than the fact that I get to tailgate and have a really good time when it's a home <laughs> game, it doesn't mean a lot to me anymore. Um, I, I just. You know, NC State went down and won at Florida State. Uh, they almost won at Clemson last year if that guy hadn't missed that chip shot field goal. I just don't think it means as much these days as, as, as people make it out to, to be. Now, I don't have the stats, the numbers to back that up. That would actually be interesting research. Well, you look at Virginia Tech's record at home since 2011. Sure. They were really good in 2011. Since then, you know, yeah. um, a lot of losses. Well, I mean, well, I mean, a lot of that was at the end of the Beamer regime. Correct. But they also got slapped silly by Georgia Tech at home right. last year. Yeah. Um, the, the home field advantage, you know, that was a great environment against Clemson, but it really didn't matter. Right. You know. Really quick, before we go to, I uh, want to quickly ask you guys about your expectations before the year and if you feel the same, but how shocked are you that UNC is, is struggling as much as they are? And, and obviously we'll talk more about the Tar Heels next week, but they're 1-5 and in the rest of their schedule. A bowl game is almost out of the out of the picture. Oh yeah, point. they're done. Will, what's their record since they lost to Virginia Tech last year? You wrote that yesterday, I believe. Was it oh, nine? Man, it was uh, four and something, four and nine, or four and ten, or something like that. Yeah, it's and, yeah. And then somebody else pointed out that in the last ten or twelve games, they've only won two games, and those were over. An F- FCS opponent and uh, Old Dominion. Old Dominion. They're, so, they're I'm not surprised they're this bad. They they had a lot of injuries. They do yeah, have they, a, they've ton had a ton of injuries, of injuries and yeah. they're starting a redshirt freshman quarterback. You know, and I there, there were some rumors that Fedora was was looking job searching at the Baylor. end of last season. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I you got to think he might have. Uh, foreseen a little bit of what was coming. Uh, they've never been a good defensive team over him. Watched a little bit of their game with Notre Dame on Saturday. And I actually thought they fought fairly hard. They're just not good. You know, they didn't pick up their first first down until halfway through the second quarter. Yeah, this is yeah. the second game of the Larry Fedora, uh, excuse me, the first time in the Larry Fedora era that his teams have failed to get 300 yards of total offense in back-to-back games. Wow. Yeah. I'm just shocked at how – I knew that Pitt and UNC wouldn't be as good as they right. were last year. But, but the they fact that they've, I, I mean, they've I mean, just – I mean, I mean this, is good. this is a great matchup for UVA this weekend. UVA's defense has been really good, and they're facing an offense that is just tripping over its own feet. I mean, yeah. they, they, they can't pick up 300 yards. I can't remember who the what his name is, but UNC brought in a grad transfer quarterback from LSU. And, Brandon and I think, Harris. And I, and I think he was expected to be the starter. And well, he just, he I, and just, it, well, every time okay. he gets in the game, he has. Brandon bad. Harris was a bad quarterback at LSU. He was not a good player, in my opinion. And the fact that that UNC brought him in, and that was a competition, and he played half of that first game, that 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 should have been sending off alarm bells to the UNC fan base, saying, "Man, if this guy who can't play for LSU and their bad offense, if he's might be our starter, then we've got some issues here." Definitely. So of of interest to Virginia Tech fans, remember Jalen Dalton? Yeah, it came down. His recruitment came down to to Tech and UNC. Now he's a North Carolina kid, mm-hmm. so he wound up going to UNC. If I'm remembering all that correctly, yep. In, I haven't gotten a chance to really watch North Carolina play either. But in reading a couple articles about him this week, something caught my eye. A North Carolina sports writer said something about uh, 
Jalen Dalton committing yet another personal foul. It, at one point in his career, he had more ejections than sacks, I think. Interesting. Oh, man. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think that's accurate. He certainly had more personal fouls man, than that's sacks. A, that's a bad stat to be leading. It was something crazy like that. Now, you know, and, and Jalen, that's the mistake Jalen made. I mean, Jalen has talent, but he chose to uh, go to a program where there's no emphasis on defense at all, and he's, he's going to pay the price for it. Yeah. Really quick, I want to ask you guys, have your expectations for Tech's season so far changed based on what you've seen through the first six games? Hmm. Uh, that's a really good question. The first place my brain goes to is yes, because now I, I've seen Miami beat Florida State and I know Miami's schedule. And uh, I think before the season started, I had, you know, hopes, high, pretty fairly high expectations that Tech would have a good shot and went in the Coastal, even knowing that they had to host Clemson and, and that probably was going to be a loss. Um, my expectations at this point in the season are different now. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if Tech won the Coastal. I'd be really pleasantly surprised. I, I, I don't think they're going to win the Coastal. Uh, I th- certainly think they could, but that was my expectation to come in with. That I expected them to have a chance to Fifty twenty, yeah, right? yeah. To con- uh, that they could compete for it, but I remember before the West Virginia game, we talked about our expectations, and I think I said nine and three. I think most of us said said nine and three. Um, I had nine and three right, as well, yeah, right. Um, but I remember one of you guys said, "Yeah, I think they'll win the coastal." But then I said, "So you'd have them losing to West Virginia because if they lose, that was if me. they lose three games in the regular season, and but they beat West Virginia, that means they're going five and three in the coastal, and you're probably not going to win the coastal at five and three. So at this point, at this point, I think it's safe to assume, as as good as Miami and Georgia Tech look, that five and three is not going to win the the coastal. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's Let's go ahead and throw that out. Uh, six and two might six and two could conceivably win it. Some things have to break Sa- just right. Exa- exactly right. Um, you know, you're really looking. Virginia Tech really, I think, needs to win out to 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 win the coastal division. I, I think I, that's fair, and I don't yeah. think they're going to do that. No, um, I I just don't. You know, this team doesn't have the look of a team that that, that that's good, that's going to win out. Uh, now, if they got upset in the game, and then Miami and Georgia Tech got and, upset in the game, right? And then be, and Tech beat Miami and Georgia Tech head to head, but that that's that's asking a lot. Now at the same time, the same time, the bye week's coming at the right time, uh, and you know as good as Miami has looked at times. You know, let's not forget that they could easily be three and one right now, and just lost to a freshman quarterback with no offensive line. I mean, that game could have gone either way. Uh, so I was just about to say, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sold on Miami yet. I'm really not. Yeah, we, Duke, you know, Duke is 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 not Walt, as good as we thought. Walt is out for the season. Walt now. is gone for the year. But in the in the case of Miami, it's not so much whether or not you're impressed by him. It's by take yourself back to before the season started. Sure, DeAndre Francois looked good last year was going to be their starting quarterback this year. And and you pretty much, if you asked anybody before the season started, yeah, Miami's going to lose in Tallahassee. Tech's probably going to lose in Blacksburg against Clemson. Mm-hmm. 50-50 shot at winning the Coastal. Sure, you know? and that so didn't happen. So it's not so much how Miami looks as the fact that they won a game. I didn't think they were going to Correct. Win. So they're kind of plus one right now from yeah. that standpoint. Yeah. yeah, Fair enough. All right, folks, that's all the time we have for today in this episode of the TSL Podcast. There is no game this week, so... Go ahead and and have fun watching all the other games. We'll be back next week with a full episode of the TSL podcast. Uh, We'll be breaking down UNC, talking about everything, Tar Heels. There is a media availability on Wednesday, which is tomorrow since we're recording this on Tuesday. 
Uh, so that when you're listening to this, that'll be today. I'll bring you full coverage from that press conference on what Tech plans to do during their bye week to help maybe develop some depth and to get some guys healthy. But until then, that's all we have for you. Uh, we'll see you next week.